was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so thrilled to welcome my guest, legendary costume designer Bob Mackey. In his over 60-year career, he has created some of the most iconic styles for stage and screen, including Cher's famously revealing Oscar's dress, the dress in which Marilyn Monroe sang to President Kennedy, Carol Burnett's Gone with the Wind dress, which now hangs in the Smithsonian, and more. He created all of the costumes for The Carol Burnett Show, The Sonny and Cher Show, The Mitzi Gaynor TV Specials, and on Broadway, The Revival of On the Town, Platinum, Moon Over Buffalo, and Lorelei. Among the other divas he's designed for are Anne-Margaret, Diana Ross, Lucille Ball, Liza Minnelli, Marlena Dietrich, and others. Bob Mackey's outfits have become synonymous with theatricality and grace, and the man himself personifies those very same qualities. And if you want more of his wisdom and his costumes, you can buy the new book The Art of Bob Mackey by Frank Vlasnik and Laura Ross. But now Without further ado, the one and only Bob Mackey. Oh, hello. Hello. It's such an honor to meet you. Thank you for doing this. Oh, well, you're welcome. You're welcome. I have no idea. It's like I haven't had to prepare anything. All I do is answer questions. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd love to start by uh, asking you how you first became interested in design. Well, as a young boy back in the olden days of the of 1940s, 1950s, uh, I, I loved going to the, to the movies. You know, I loved the movies. That, that was everything for me. And, um, and I, loved, I loved movies about uh, show business, you know, and, and usually they went back into time, turn of the century or maybe the 1920s. Uh, in these movies. And so it all, that fascinated me. My life wasn't very interesting visually. So uh, I always, I always wanted to live within that kind of atmosphere. Of course, it was all Hollywood and wasn't necessarily authentic, but uh, who knew? I didn't know. <laughs> and were there specific designers who inspired you? Well, there were a couple of films that that I realized that there was a designer or two that that I I would say oh I like I like what she does or I like what he does but it didn't it took me a long time to even uh, as a young kid I just thought you know the movies that's that's the way it looked everybody looked beautiful and everybody was perfect and their hair was always perfect everything was just the way it should be and uh, and so I just just. I don't know. I, I guess I didn't think much about it. I think to the, people just came that way. They came perfect. And of course, you know, later on, I found out that doesn't work that way. But uh, when you're really in the business, you have to sort of help help the situation. And uh, but uh, and then I started becoming very interested in the history of costume 
because I I would go to a film and I'd say, well, what what period is this? And in movies, uh, quite quite often, uh, it it wouldn't look terribly authentic, but it was very Hollywood. I mean, they made it, you know, if if a certain hairstyle was in style, no matter what period the film was, they wore that. That was the hairdo of the day. So you you often see these sort of nineteen fifties musicals about the 20s and all of a sudden they all look like they're in in uh, uh, 1950s outfits with little tiny waists and big full skirts which they didn't wear at all in the 20s but you know that was Hollywood they the producers said oh no those are ugly everyone always thinks whatever was in style two or three years ago is ugly and the new stuff is so, you know, you sort of have to go with it. But I was always very impressed when I'd see a film that looked like the period that it was supposed to be. Anyway, anyway I, there, were, there were a couple films that really convinced me that, that I was going in the right direction. And one of them was an American in Paris when they, when they do the ballet in an American in Paris. And I just sat there thinking, that's the most beautiful thing. That looks so amazing. And then I said to myself, I bet I could do that. I could do that one day. I could do something like that. And then I, that's the first time I really looked to see who designed it. And it was a lady named Irene Sheriff. And um, she also designed The King and I, which was a beautiful, beautiful film. And she also did the stage show on that. Many of her contracts were, if she did the Broadway show, she would also do the movie, which is a great contract, believe me. Because then, you know, it's really consistent then. But um, anyway, that's kind of how I got started. And then, and then I realized sometimes I love the musicals, but very often the scripts were really stupid and, and had, they had nothing to offer, but I love the visuals of all the numbers. And uh, all of a sudden, one day I went to see a movie called um, uh, Singing in the Rain, which I thought, now this is finally a good script. It's really funny. It's clever. It 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 does a, a really good job at, at recreating the 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 uh, the look of the period, which was 1928-29, when when talkies came in, and uh, and I I'm sitting there watching it, and after I got it all done, I said, you know, that's that's probably one of the best musicals. Uh, humor-wise and everything that, that Hollywood ever did uh, about another period in time. Of course, they, the, all those people that, that produced it and wrote music for it, they had all done the, that period themselves. So they really, they wanted it to look as close as possible. The, uh, the 1920s dresses all had waistlines <laughs> anyway, you know, and, and, and it looks like they were wearing push-up bras, but, but you know, there's things that just happen. You, you can't help it. The, the lady, the stars all want to look a certain way. Anyway, been through that, done that. <laughs> <laughs> and is there a certain period in American fashion that you like the most or... I don't know. It's kind of hard. You always like the newest thing, the thing that that but but not always. I mean, sometimes you go, oh, God, I wish this would be over so we could get on to something else, you know, and, and you can't 
when you're when you're doing contemporary things, you you sort of have to always keep your eye on what's what's going on fashion wise at that moment in time. I I think because of my age at the time, I was I was young. I was in art school. Uh, I think I love the 1960s and, and what was going on from the 50s, which I grew up with, uh, into the 60s fashion when skirts got short and and there was. You, we had influences from every every country in the world at that point in time, uh, which I I love that I I love the ethnic little touches of, and things and and uh, I miss that we don't see so much of that more of it's coming around right now, it, everything comes back you know if, if you really miss something it will come back <laughs> and see more of it. What are you what are you basically interested in besides doing interviews and, and asking intelligent questions? Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm mostly interested in theater and possibly being a director someday. I think that's I think you should. If, if that's I, you know, I, I wish that I had gone into that area more than I did. But once you get you get kind of put into a, a, a place where people think of you only for one thing before you know it, that's all you're ever asked to do. So uh, uh, be careful, <laughs> okay? Yes, yes. And if I can ask you the opposite of the question I asked, were there periods in American fashion or trends that you disliked or? Well, there are times when you, you go, when, when it's not flattering for most people, you know? And, and in, the, in the old days, you know, every couple of years, you know, skirt lengths would change. Uh, uh, certain details would be there and they would be on everything. And then it would go away and new things would come later. And everybody was always expecting, we're gonna find out what we're wearing next year. But lately it hasn't been that way. I think, I think fashion lately is, is pretty boring. Oh. It's been, it's been, we've been living in this sort of t-shirt jeans uh, generation for too long. And, and, you know, I, I love, I love my jeans and I love my t-shirts and I love the comfort of it all, but, but it's not fashion. I don't think, I think it's just become kind of a, it's gone on for many years, very little, little difference from year to year. Uh, it changes, you know, all of a sudden there for a while, ladies jeans were all cut clear down to their, their below their hips you know, and you see them getting into their cars, their big, high, funny Range Rovers and whatever, and, and they bend over to get into it. And you just like, you know, <laughs> hide your eyes because you're just afraid to look. Um, but that now all of a sudden they're up at the waistline again, which I think is probably a good thing. <laughs> and where did you uh, study when you were starting out? Study? Well, I, I was studying all of this as a kid. And, you know, when I was was not studying anywhere, nobody was, you know, teaching me about fashion or about history of certain costumes and periods. I just sort of did it on my own. And I'd go to see a film and I would say, gee, this doesn't look right. And I would realize that they've, they've cheated too many times in this film. Uh, and I, I got to be very critical as a young, when I was about your age, I remember being very critical about things not looking right or not authentic or whatever. And then there were times when I thought, well, it's okay not to be authentic as long as the whole film has that point of view. But what I always hated as a costume designer was to see the stars were dressed one way 
but then all the people behind them and around them that looked like they rented it from some costume house somewhere and it didn't look like it went with it at all you know that and that happened that still happens because budgets and whatever but um, that always was annoying to me i would love to ask you about the legendary designer edith head who you worked with at the beginning yes yes well edith was one of those uh aggressive uh ladies i mean i i knew her i liked her actually I, I got a kick out of her and she hired me just by seeing my work very accidentally and i had i had just decided i was under scholar i was on scholarship with this art school that had a costume design department and and i loved i loved everything about the school and I, so I was, I was like, I could have gone many different directions. I could have gone into illustration. I could have gone into um, set design. I could have gone into a lot of different things, but I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with the costume design at the moment. And uh, so she, she worked at, she was under contract at Paramount and Paramount had had her there since she was the little nobody in the back room who, who nobody knew who she was even. And she worked and worked and worked and got herself well known. And she did radio shows and she gave out recipes and she did anything to get her name printed. And, and uh, in fact, she even, she even sort of borrowed or stolen or whatever sketches to get jobs with from the school where, where it was the same school I went to. So I heard all these stories from people that, you know, teachers and things that had, had known her from the 1920s. And I wasn't even born then at that point, but but the, it was just kind of wild stories. But she ad admitted it later that she had basically stolen sketches from the from the attic at the school and, and put it in a portfolio and got jobs and then got caught because she couldn't really do the work. And the and I remember the, the man that that was her boss when she first went there uh, was my boss. He was much older later on. In the, in the early 60s is when I when I started there, like 61. I've been doing this job for 60 years. I've been in the union for 60 years, and, uh, which makes me an old guy. But anyway, it's good to be old. You know, you live longer that way. <laughs> anyway, she uh, she she's she walked in and and we were renting space. Uh, a, a designer from New York was needed space to, to develop a, a movie he was making in Europe, and um, and he needed somebody to draw to draw the men's sketches because a lot of designers don't ever learn how to draw men. For and you know when you show a sketch to a producer or director and it it doesn't look right, uh, that's hard. So a lot of people rent, and that's what I did. I worked for other designers in the beginning doing their sketches, and. Um, you learn a lot that way because you hear all the all the arguments and all the all the complaints and everything, even though you're probably not supposed to hear it, but you do, and uh, that that was good for me. I I progressed very quickly because of that. One of the uh, first projects on which you're credited as the costume designer is Arthur Freed's Hollywood Melody, and I've yeah, no, I but I didn't do that. I oh. didn't do that. No, I didn't. A friend of mine who I later worked with on many different things. Ray Agion designed that, but, but I, I didn't even know him at the time. He wasn't even a friend of mine at that point. And when I met him, he had just finished it and he showed me 
of things that he'd been doing for the and, and the Arthur Freed was a very important producer at MGM. I mean, he was the musical comedy producer at that point. And, and some of his movies were amazing. And the people they hired, the, the Vincent Minnellis and, and all those amazing directors and choreographers and creative people. It's like Irene Sheriff, the costume designer on, on, on the ballet in, in American in Paris. She didn't do the rest of the movie. She just did the ballet. And I think a few things for Leslie Caron. Where are we going? Anyway, Edith would come in every morning to see how her, her tenants that were using her space at Paramount were doing. And before I knew it, by the end of that two weeks that I was supposed to be working there, she asked me to come in and work for her. So that, that's how that happened. But, um, uh, well, what were you, what were we, what was the question you asked originally? Oh, I'm sorry. About a uh, Hollywood melody, but that you didn't actually work. No, on. I had, I had nothing to do with that at all. Nothing to do with it. I did, I did a lot of things for Ray. I worked for him and then I became really his partner as far as design. We did a lot of uh, movies and things together. We, we worked very well together. And then we opened a business where we made costumes. So it was it was a good a good partnership in many ways. Oh yes. And what would you identify as your big break within the entertainment industry? As a My big break. Well, you know, it happened very quickly. Um, I it, he he asked me. We became friends, and it was a friend that I could go to dinner with, and we would talk about movies and talk about costume design and talk about all these things that nobody I knew. Nobody was interested in that at all. And to have a friend that you could really discuss it and, and have opinions. And, and, and if you didn't agree with them, you'd have arguments and all of that. That's very, very healthy, I think. Um, and I'm sure there are films that you, you like. You like the way they look. You like the way they, they're directed. And um, it's, it's, it's good to have an opinion on that stuff not just think everything because it comes from Hollywood or whatever, that it's all good. It isn't all good. Some of it's not good at all. Yeah. And um, you have to have an opinion. It's important. You uh, won an Emmy Award for your work on Alice in Wonderland early on. And what was that like to be collaborating with Jimmy Durante and Agnes Moorhead? And yes, yes, yes. That was the first, the first, in, the first Emmy ever given to a TV show ever they didn't have they didn't have that category at all and uh we had to kind of fight to get in there because we knew that the that the show had a lot of a look to it i mean it was it was quite fabulous and um in many ways more than anything you saw in television in those days uh but but it <laughs> it just took a while and a lot of the producers said well everybody they just wear their own clothes they come in and they talk and they have opinions and like like radio or something and even it's even at cbs at tv city in the in the old days they didn't have dressing rooms people had, they, they were given lockers and you could put your hand, your you know, your purse and your and your overcoat. It was a cold day, or your raincoat. Your you know, it was just the oddest thing, and um, it, it didn't make any sense at all. Anyway, uh, we we argued enough that we did we did get nominated and we did win that year, and the next year came up and we were nominated again, but we were the only ones nominated, 
and they just decided not to give it to us. So that year, after that year of going to the to the Emmy Awards and nobody won anything, we just never went again. <laughs> but in the meantime, in the, in the meantime, after all those years on television, I won nine Emmy Awards. So you know, uh, it it was pretty good record actually. <laughs> yeah. 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 To speak about uh, award shows from a different capacity, I'd be curious to ask you, what do you think makes a good award show outfit? An award show outfit. You're talking about the like the red carpet kind of outfit. Well, a lot of mistakes are made in that department, believe me. And um, and in, in the old days, and I, you know, I, I do go back a long way. Uh, People, if you're working on a film or you're working for a studio and you're under contract, basically they would dress you. They're, your designer that you always worked with would dress you for the Academy Awards. And if you're in a film with a particular designer, chances are they would be doing your outfit for that, for that particular award. Um, but then all of a sudden in the, I guess it was in the 70s, they, they started, uh, the European couture designers started offering free dresses. Well, and I always thought it was very funny because a lot of the actresses were making, you know, millions of dollars being in this movie, but they loved to get a free dress. You know, there was, it was a big deal to get something for nothing, even though they, they very well could afford it. But, uh, and, or, and, and then of course, in the old days that the studios would pay for it, but, but, Later on, it was it was a freebie, and and then it got to the point that they were paying these actresses to wear certain dresses, uh, you know, and that that still goes on too. Well, it's just very important to look like. Oh, it's hard. You you want you want an actress to look like the audience would like her to look, expect her to look, uh, and. Most of them have images. They're not always like that in real life. They're quite often simple girls who are good actresses or not good actresses, or, or they sang well, and what, whatever reason they're in the movie and they're there. But um, very often, the big mistakes are made at the, at the red carpet situation. And uh, I like the old days when, when you know, when the old timey actresses, the, the Marlena Dietrichs would say, well, I don't know which side I'm coming on, you know, which side of the stage. And so she, she very famous for one time, she, she had the same dress, one made in black, one made in white. And then one, one of them had a split on one side, one on, on the other side, and then she was safe. She had something, no matter what, what the background looked like, and what side she came in on from the from the audience, and then they started doing these big podiums in front of the actresses, and of course all the design, everybody was furious because you couldn't see what they had on, just maybe from the bus stop. That was it, and uh, they changed that, fortunately, but that was an awful time for the poor designer who killed himself, you know, and and you couldn't see anything. <laughs> I'm sure everyone must ask you about the famous dress that you designed for Cher at the, did we cut out? At the Oz? At the Oz. Yeah, we got cut a little bit. I saw uh, which one, the one when she gave Don Amici his award, that one? I, I believe it was when she won. Oh, when she won. Well, you know, Cher, Cher isn't like a regular actress. <laughs> you, you might've noticed that. Um, 
she likes to dress up. She likes the attention. And, you know, the first time I did something for her that was kind of out there, uh, I said, are you sure you want to, you sure you want to wear this? Aren't you kind of pulling focus from this person you're giving an award to? And she said, oh, he won't mind. <laughs> and he didn't. And the next day in the paper, he said, you know, if she hadn't dressed up in that outfit, I wouldn't have had my picture in every, every newspaper in the country. And they still print the pictures of her in that outfit. Uh, either one, either one she won or the one she gave the award. So, in, you know, it's, and they, now they miss her because she's not doing it all the time. They said, why can't we have her again? They, you know, you get bored. And, uh, and then very often you'll see almost the same dress over and over and over again in one night, you know, different colors, different girl, but it's, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's part of the, it's people are always interested in what they're wearing more than, than who wins. Half the time they haven't even seen the film, so they don't know whether it's good or not. <laughs> and I'd love to ask you about uh, two stars of the golden era who you worked with, Lucille Ball and Fred Astaire. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I did one special with Fred Astaire. It was his last big special on TV. And uh, I loved working with him. He was gracious and smart and had a great style of his own. And, um, and he, and, and clothes had changed, men's clothes had changed. The, the, the pants were a little bell-bottomed and it was, it was in, you know, it was in the late sixties, I guess, when we did that. And, but he was very gracious and lovely. And he knew that that wasn't his regular style, but he was doing very contemporary music. And, um, and Barry Chase, who he danced with in those shows, was his dancing partner, um, was always right, right on, the, on the moment in fashion. She always wore the, the best shoes, the best little dresses. And, and I loved working with her, it was fun. And he went with it, he just went with it. And he, he treated it like a costume, which is what it was basically, you know. But um, I loved him and, and we, we really did, we had like six weeks of rehearsal, which you never have on a television special. And then Lucille Ball is just amazing. Have you been watching any of those, those latest things on Turner Classics from the old days? I mean, she just, and she was so beautiful to begin with, oh, yeah. you know, just naturally beautiful. And um, she, I, I liked her a lot. She was very tough very tough, but, but I liked her a lot. In, uh, in my, I have a book coming out soon. Actually, I guess that's why I'm talking to you. I don't know. Anyway, um, and there's the, the first time I worked with her, she, she, someone said, we'd like you to, to fly above the audience like Mary Martin does in, in Peter Pan, but we want you to be a butterfly. And I said, well, that's a good idea. And how great she would look as as a butterfly, and uh, uh, but she was she she did it and it hurt because in those days the the harnesses were made out of were made out of jeans, real you know denim jeans with grommets in them, and of course you're hanging there just from these jeans in your crotch. It had to hurt, and she you know it hurt. Believe me, I heard I heard all the bad words, you know about how much it hurt. But um, she did it, she did it and she looked great. And uh, she just wanted to prove that, that if Mary Martin could do it, so could she. Oh, yeah. 
and that 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 always got her going you know she she loved a challenge and and then of course on the carol burnett show she was on every single year of the whole season and uh it she was gracious and lovely and smart and uh carol adored her so it was not a having her on every year was always a pleasure oh yes and to talk about a uh, different aspect of your career, how did your Broadway debut come about with On the Town, I believe, was the first show that you... Well, uh, how did it come about? Uh, yeah, it was actually. Uh, the, the director of On the Town at the time was Ron Field. And Ron Field had been a, a well-known choreographer and then had become more of a designer. I'm not a designer, a director. And so he was doing both things and he'd been out to Hollywood. He'd been invited out to Hollywood to do some stuff. And that's when I met him. And, and Ray and I, Ray Aguian and I did that together because we were both busy doing lots of other stuff. And uh, he, uh, I don't know, we just, we just loved doing it. I loved, I've always known about the, that particular show and, you know, wonderful music and everything. And so it was just, it just happened and we did it and it was great fun. You know, those kind of things, most of what I did in this, this kind of area of work, I did it because I loved doing it. I loved it because it was fun to do. And then if you do a good job and, and you know, that curtain comes open and, and the, the whole audience just sits up straight and really pays attention, that's, that's a good feeling. How do you approach uh, designing costumes differently for a Broadway show as opposed to on screen? Um, I, I don't think of it differently, although I know that there are things that, that you do differently, but basically it's all, it's all the same rules, really. You know, on stage, the, the clothes have to last forever, hopefully. You know, <laughs> hopefully the show will run a long time. And... Uh, and it has to, it has to, you know, the changes have to be quick, you know, in, in movies, in movies, you, you can take half a day to get dressed if you, if you, if there's time and, uh, and, you know, movie stars get there at four in the morning and start their makeup and their hair and their this and their that. And, you know, by the time everyone's ready, it's, you're lucky to get a few shots in before lunch, but um, it, it's great. I don't know. I just, I love both, actually. I love the excitement of being in a theater. And that's what I've missed the last couple of years because oh, yeah. there hasn't been any theater to, to go see. You can't, we were sitting too close. It was dangerous. And, uh, and the old theaters, many of the New York theaters are, are such old theaters that the seats are really tiny. You know, people were shorter in those, you know, when they build those theaters. And a lot of them, they pulled out the seats now and they put bigger seats and whatever. But it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. Uh, I, I, worry, I, I still worry about the, the history, what's going to happen with, with legitimate theater because of, of this, this problem we're living through right now. And I'd love to ask about uh, two more of the Broadway shows you worked on, which were slightly uh, less successful, which were Platinum and the Best <laughs> Little Whorehouse, and the Best Little Whorehouse Goes Public. Those were two stinking jobs. <laughs> they really were. Uh, the Best Little Whorehouse Goes Public had been a very successful, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas had been a huge hit. But we were we were just 
well into the AIDS epidemic. And you, you, know, you can't do a show about good-hearted hookers and whores. That, that, it, it, just, it, it was wrong to do it in the first place. I said, I said to so many people, to the producer, actually, I said, don't you think we could just change the title a little bit, fool people a little bit, not to thinking it's just about that. And um, no, 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 we had a hit. It's going to be another hit. Well, of course, it, it ran, what, two or three days, something like that. You know, it was, it was so sad because there were some really good, good moments in that show. But, but it was politically completely wrong. And what was the other other show? Uh, Platinum with Alexis. Well, Platinum. Platinum was probably one of the worst scripts I've ever read. And I love the fact it had Alexis Smith, who is so beautiful and so gorgeous and so gracious and so much fun to dress. Five foot eight she was and tall and slim. And she was, you know, she was probably, I don't know, she was probably 60 at the time. And she looked amazing and had been in Follies, good, good, a good part in Follies, the Sondheim musical. And she, um, it, it was just, it was bad. It wasn't a very good script. It, it was a very weak script actually, but it, you do the show and you hope for the best. And when it's over, you just go home and do something else. <laughs> yeah. And um, to go back to uh, Hollywood, how did your work begin with Diana Ross and the Supremes? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. Diana Ross and the Supremes um, had become very, very popular and very famous. They were like the number one girl group and they were really good. Those girls were amazing. They, they could dance, they could move, they all could sing. And, and of course, Diana was like the star because Barry Gordy was her boyfriend. And, uh, and she, she has so much, so much presence on that stage and her, her skinny little perfect body looked great in clothes. And um, she had a, they had a designer. They had a designer that they'd been working with. And all of a sudden she got really mad because evidently he did he did something, he did an outfit for another group uh, that looked similar to something he did for them. And she didn't want to work with him anymore. She was really mad <laughs> as she can be. And um, uh, so uh, she was doing, they were doing a special on, it was, the theme was Broadway. Uh, and, uh, uh, and she was doing it with a producer named George Slaughter who did the laugh-in shows um, and, and he was, he'd, I'd worked with him a lot myself. And he asked her, well, should, could, we get, could we get Bob Mackie to do it? And I don't know that she even knew who I was really, but, but she agreed. And uh, that's how that started. And that, that was good for me. I, that, was a, that was a good looking show, I think. And it was also a, a, a good for me. I enjoyed doing it. I, I enjoyed working with them. That was a smart group. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really good. But yeah. what else? <laughs> You've worked on uh, many, many different TV specials. And having seen so many of them, what do you think is the art to making a really great one? As oh, it, it's hard. You know, it, th sometimes things look really great while you're doing them. You look back in 10 years and you go, mm, it's okay. <laughs> 
you know, it's like anything. Everything dates itself as you go along in years. And you'll, you'll find that you do work. You'll do work later that, that you love doing at the moment or you're not liking it at the moment. And then you, five years later, you watch it and say, you know, that was pretty good. Better than I ever thought it was. Uh, that, that comes up too. You just, you know, you're, it's the work that counts really. Do, do good work and, and believe in yourself. Do you often watch the TV specials that you did after? No, not I, if it's on, if it happens to be on or I have or somebody wants to see a copy of it and I have a copy, I'll watch it again. And sometimes I'm really I'm, I'm very delighted with how it how it, 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 it ages itself because sometimes they're really still good. Uh, we, we did some crazy Mitzi Gaynor specials that that. Um, and she was my first big sort of star client that that was interested in me and and she's still around and she's still amazing and and smart and and talented and and entertaining you know a lot of them sort of forget that they're there to entertain and she she never forgets that yeah and this is a question that you uh, don't have to answer if you'd rather not, but have you ever encountered a star who's been difficult to work with or to design for? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Some, some of them are just a pain in the ass. They just are. There's no getting around it. It isn't that they're, they're, they're mean or they're ugly or they're anything like that. They're just, <laughs> they just question everything. And there's a few of those that are talented, talented but they, they question every little detail and you just want to, you know, you just want to oh, get me out of here quickly, but you do it, you do it. And very often it's, it's, it works, you know, I, I can't complain about it. I never, I never complain about it, but I've had, I, I've had some really amazing, uh, lovely, gracious ladies that, 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 they they just they they appreciate what you do and and you could ask them what would happen if I did this this or this and they'll go oh what a good idea oh now I know how to play that scene you know and you go okay good you know it's it's that happens one of my favorites of all time of course is the, is Carol Burnett because she she always listened to ideas and a lot of a lot of people just think they know everything from beginning to end and and they don't. But she would, she know, knows a lot, but she always listened. And she would say, oh, oh, that's a whole nother world. But yes, let's do that. That sounds great. So, okay, I love that. You know, you always like it when people agree with you. <laughs> and um, as, a, uh, as a young gay man, as, as I am, I'd be curious to ask you what your um, journey was like with being a gay man in Hollywood at this time in the 70s. Well, you know, life was different in those days. You know, you're you're as a young boy, you you kind of know you're different. You know, you know that you have other things to think about, um, but you're trying so hard to please the world around you, and nobody was understood. Anyone that wanted to be different or or seemed different, uh, or had a talent that nobody could relate to. I mean, you know, when I, if I, if, if my uncle would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up, Bobby? Because they, 
they knew I wasn't going to be a truck driver or whatever. So <laughs> you just, you just, and, and you, you're trying so hard to please the world. And then one day you just say to yourself, I have to be who I am, but life is different now. Kids your age and younger and older uh, can find out about things. You couldn't find out about anything that was different than, than everybody wanted you to be. So it's, it's good. It's good if you, if you can make up your mind, you know, some people don't, don't make up their mind till they're, they're practically middle-aged, you know, and, and, and realize they've made some mistakes. And so I'd love to, since we were talking about Carol Burnett, how did the idea for the Carol Burnett show begin? Or how did you first hear about that? Well, it, she, she had done some special, she'd been, she was on a regular variety show in New York in the, it was in the sixties, I guess. I'm trying to think, the Gary Moore show. And it was a variety show and it was a lovely, uh, put together group of people that, that, that did that show. And, and she loved doing variety television because there's, you just, you do so many things in one show. You're not just doing one little thing. You're, you're doing all kinds of different parts and playing characters. And, and she was, she was always so gracious and fun because she would make herself look horrible if it, if it was going to get a laugh or, or going to get what she needed it to be. And I love that. And I love doing comedy. And as a young kid, well, actually about your age, I used to, I used to run home on a Saturday night to see a show with Sid Caesar and Imogene Coca. I do you know who that is? Yeah, you probably do. Yeah. And uh, I always, that show was an hour and a half long. It's called Your Show of Shows. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking I got to see this show because it's, I, I'm really interested in the way it works and the way they entertain and, and the dialects they use and all the crazy uh, references to different cultures and whatever. And uh, I, I would run home from my job on Saturday afternoon because it was, it went to Los Angeles direct from New York. And uh, so I'd get home at five o'clock and I would watch that show for an hour and a half. And it, it was like college for me. It was like like going to the University of Variety Television or whatever, and uh, and then I I realized I worked with so many of those stars that were on that show later on in my career, and uh, Carl Reiner for one was on that show, and he was my favorite. Whenever we'd have a guest star, it was Carl Reiner. I go, oh, thank God, I love Carl Reiner because he was so funny, and and again people better appreciate what you're trying to do for them and help them, you know, and, and make the performances better. That's always good. And I'd be curious to know, since you've worked with so many stars, do you get starstruck when meeting people? Um, yes and no. You know, you're, you're there to do your job. You're there to help them to enhance their performance or the character they're playing or whatever. Or sometimes it's just important, like I said earlier, to make them into what the audience want them to be. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like Anne-Margaret 
for one was a movie star in the 60s and she was she was about my age at the time and and uh, she had this sexy image you know the kitten with a whip and all these things they called her and yet she was the she was the sweetest most gracious lovely generous um, person but she she never played those kind of parts uh maybe maybe Bye Bye Birdie was close, but but who knows? I don't know. Anyway, uh, but but I always yeah, I always say you've got you've got to look like the audience wants to see Anne Margaret. And what was it like to be at this time in the seventies working on not just one but two of the biggest variety shows with Carol Burnett and then Sonny and Cher at the same time? Um, it just one of those things that just happened. It just happened. Uh, Cher was was uh, a guest star on the Carol Burnett show the very first season with Sonny, and they always they were they were trying so hard to do a show everybody wanted to see, and so every week we would have what they call a young act, something for the younger people, the the rock and roll people, the whatever whatever Sonny and Cher were. I don't know what they were. They eventually their comedy became more important than than the actual singing. I think, but they made. She, you know, she sold a lot of records, believe me. And Sonny wrote a lot of those songs himself that she sang. So they, they did just fine. They did really well. Yeah. And yeah. what did you sort of observe about the relationship between them? And were you surprised when it eventually ended? Um, no, I wasn't surprised. She, he was, uh, Sonny was older. He was like a daddy, a kind of, uh, uh, you know, and she was, she was just barely, you know, 21, 22, something like that. And, and she was having such a good time, you know, go shopping and had a little money to spend and all that. It was fun for her. And, and then all of a sudden she'd meet, you know, some handsome rock and roll guy like that, like her first husband. I mean, the second husband, I should say. And uh, she'd fall in love, you know, it, 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 you, you do different things when you're, you know, when you're young. Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> this was, of course, all immortalized recently in the Cher show on Broadway. And how did you see it? I did. I did. I loved it. Oh, OK, it good. <laughs> and what was it like for you to see yourself on a Broadway stage in addition to? Does that oh, oh, somebody playing me, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was kind of odd. It was it was it was strange, but uh, I. I, I must say I was very pleased with with Michael who played me, and uh, there there were different people playing me at different parts when we were going through the first rehearsals and stuff, and uh, and a, a couple of them Cher was not approving of. Oh. She 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 wasn't happy with her first ones, so uh, uh, it it was nice having somebody that 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 paid attention to to you know to what I had done in the past and watched interviews from the old days and whatever. He tried very hard to, to, to do it the right way as a, you know, as a character in a play because you never play anyone exactly the way they, they are anyway. But uh, it was fun. It was fun in that respect. I never expected in my life to have anyone ever play me oh. in a show. <laughs> it, was just, it was kind of a surprise. And I didn't have to, you know, it was, it was funny when I walked in, they hadn't hired me to begin with to do the show. 
I don't know if they thought I was too old to do it anymore or what, but uh, I, uh, it was just, it was odd, you know, to, to have to almost, I said to Cher, I said, you know, they've got somebody playing me. And she says, well, why aren't you doing it? And I said, well, I don't want to play me, but I certainly want to design the show. And um, so that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And you uh, did delve a little bit into acting in your own right in um, Tales of the City and The Love Boat. On <laughs> You've been watching too much TV. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, just a little, just very little, very little. But uh, in, my, in my new book that's coming out, there's a couple pictures from high school where I'm performing. And uh, it's, it's just funny to see them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You'll and see them. And you also uh, worked with Carol Burnett on her Broadway show, Moon Over Broadway. I did, yes, yes. What was that experience like with her and Philip Bosco? And well, I, the, the two of them were brilliant actors, comedy actors. You know, not a lot of people are good actors, but they're not terribly funny. They can't pull a laugh out of nowhere like those two could. I mean, they were really something to, to behold. And I'd seen him in other shows before that. So I, I knew that he was going to be really good. And uh, we had a wonderful cast. And it was it was a tricky show to do. It was, it was kind of hard. Did you see it at all? Um, I've seen the documentary about the making oh, of the documentary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I I have one day I'll tell you stories about that, but I won't oh. right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> on, on screen, you worked with um, Angela Lansbury on Mrs. Santa Claus, which is right. And what was that collaboration like with her? I just I love I love she's so smart and so bright and 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 just is such a pro. You know, when you when you look at her, you, you know, you watch National Velvet with Elizabeth Taylor as a little girl, and there all of a sudden, this little dark-haired girl has this boopsy blonde older sister, and you're going, they don't look like they're even from the <laughs> same planet. <laughs> but but she was, you know, Angela was a young teenager at that point, and there weren't that many British young kids working at, at, at MGM at the time. And of course, Elizabeth was so beautiful that, that people were just going, oh my God, she's such a, such a beauty. And especially at you know, 10 years old or whatever she was, she was a beauty. And she, you know, by the time she was 13, she looked like a grown woman. It was, it was kind of a wild, <laughs> a wild transformation. But um, Angela was just fantastic. And I did an, I did an Academy Awards opening number with her on, on the Oscars one year. And um, it, it, it came out really well. I was really pleased with it. And she's just so pro, you know, and, and wanted so hard to, to be in musicals as a young girl. And she didn't really ever do it till she did Maine. Well, no, she did a couple of shows before that. So people knew she could open her mouth and sing and, and knew which, which way to get off the stage. <laughs> And uh, yes, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I just an unrelated question. Were there ever uh, TV specials or TV shows you worked on that didn't come to fruition, but that you had started? That I'd started. Um, 
Well, we we always did uh, uh, television in the old days, and that, that's how Sonny and Cher started. Was we would do summer replacement shows, and in the summer, and they would last maybe I don't know thirteen weeks, maybe eight weeks. They were never as long as a whole season, and most of them didn't do that well. But I I worked on several of those. But the Sonny and Cher show just clicked. People went crazy, and and I think part of it was. A big part of it was the fact that that all of us all of a sudden the leading lady wasn't a big boopsy blonde with big boobs and big blonde hair and and it was a whole other kind of a girl a girl with with black hair and 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 ethnic looking and nobody ever could figure out what she really was and they thought she was you know. Uh, Native American. Uh, she was basically half Armenian and half, I don't know, her mother was from Oklahoma, you know, who knows, I don't know. Um, so anyway, people were just fascinated with her. In fact, they, they really were. They would tune in just to see what she'd wear and how she'd look and how funny she was. She was really funny and, and good, you know, and just naturally a good performer. And I'd be curious, did you ever offer uh, input beyond the role of a designer, either directorial or script or anything like that? I never did. It was, you know, in, in Hollywood, you you just, you're put into that niche and that's what you do. And if you're doing television, God help you. If you, if you, you know, usually you have five days to do one show and those shows were huge and a lot of clothes, a lot of costumes. And, um, both, both Carol and, and Cher. And of course the Mitzi Gaynor shows were like three times bigger than those shows. And it was just crazy. And then I did Vegas, Las Vegas with all those showgirls and all that stuff, you know. Uh, if you've seen any of my old books or anything, you, you know, you saw those showgirls where every girl, there'd be three dozen girls on stage and everyone would be dressed differently, but they all went together. I mean, you want to kill yourself. <laughs> And so um, before we do uh, run out of time, I would love to bring us up to the present day by asking you, what were you uh, working on right before quarantine? I was really off. I was finished with, with the Share show. We were, going to, we were going to do a road company version of it. And before we could even start it, uh, we went into quarantine. Oh. And I bought a house in Palm Springs here because I just thought, well, it's so beautiful here, you know, it gets really hot in the summer, but right now it's in the middle of winter and it is gorgeous and perfect. So I'm happy. And what has this uh, quarantine been like for you as an artist? Have you been designing or? Uh, not so much. I've been doing some funny little jobs for different, different things. You know, I'm, I, I was for the Bradbury Exchange. I, I was doing a, an Ella Fitzgerald figurine. Now, how often does anyone ever ask you to do that? You know, but I, I'm so thrilled because she was she was a, a lovely, lovely woman who could sing better than anybody ever. And and I worked with her on so many shows that I was I, when they asked me to do it, I went, absolutely. I would love to. And um, and then somebody said to me, he says, you know, you dress more black performers than almost anybody else in the business. And I, I'd never even thought about it. It never occurred to me that they were any different than anyone else. But but 
actually they are different you know you 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 approach it differently uh, it's fun oh joey joe was just telling me i didn't say i didn't call the bradford exchange the right name i always get mixed up there you know they they sell all that funny christmas stuff in in that magazine in the sunday paper you just want to go oh god no but anyway that's another story Oh, and what kind of thing would you like to be doing now as we reemerge from? I just want to work. I, 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 love, I love what I do and I love making things happen and I love developing characters and, and uh, it, uh, nothing's better. If you have a good script and people are playing different characters, it's just the best. You, you, you can create a whole look and a whole fashion just for them. And, and a kind of makeup. And, and uh, what I loved about working with Carol always was, was she would wear shoes that made her legs look ugly on purpose, just so she could do funny things with her feet and, and her elbows and her, she just, she's just an amazing performer and, and lovely to work with. I just had dinner with her the other night. And oh, I, you know, well. I, don't, I don't have dinner with all my old clients every day. But it was just kind of fun okay. just to see her and talk about the old days. And, and you know, we go so far back. Oh, yeah. yeah. And my uh, very last question for you is, after and during such a legendary career, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out? If you can figure out what you want to do and, and who, who you want to be when you grow up, because you don't really get to be that person until it's time. You know, unless you're a child actor and you you work your way into being Elizabeth Taylor or something, but uh, you know, it's it's just it's not everybody knows. You have to find out sometimes. Uh, I I sort of trained myself early on, and then then picked up all the little loose ends in art school because visuals are so important, and and the visuals that you create on paper can make all the difference in the world. Um, and a lot of a lot of people that want to be costume designers just want to make a pretty dress. They don't, they're really not interested in the script, yeah. particularly, you know. And and um, for me, it was always, you know, if 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 I could get an audience to kind of swoon when they walk out, or uh, or just laugh out loud when they walk out, that then I'm a happy person. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a great honor to meet you and to talk to you. Lovely meeting you.